Today's episode of the Trailblazers.fm podcast is sponsored by the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership network in support of a movement to let the world know that our black men and boys matter. They're an asset to our communities and our country. And as a nation, we cannot truly prosper when any group of people are excluded and forced to exist on the fringes of society. The well-being of black men and boys has direct influence on the strength of our families, our communities, and our nation as a whole. My ask, Blazer Nation, is that you'd consider joining and investing in the Campaign for Black Male Achievement as we head into the holiday season. Your contribution is going to help CBME to amplify and catalyze black male achievement around the country. To do so, I ask that you'd visit blackmaleachievement.org and select either of the options to join and or donate to this movement today. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello, Blazer Nation. Welcome back to episode 149 of the Trailblazers.fm podcast. I'm your host, Stephen A. Hart. Our guest today is none other than a dear friend of mine, Mr. Scott Dunn. Scott is the managing director of a company called Dream Entertainment in Jamaica. I was actually in Jamaica this past week attending the wedding of our episode two guest, Mr. Dwayne Watkins, and I had some time to spend a couple days in Kingston visiting with family, with my dad especially, and some of my other relatives. And in that time, in a day or two uh, being in Kingston, had a chance to sit down and finally have a discussion with Scott on the podcast. An amazing friend, but more so a truly accomplished entrepreneur, someone who has had an entrepreneurial spirit going back to our days in college and is truly blazing a trail in the entertainment space. And you'll hear more about that in our discussion. Just wanted to encourage you, if you've not yet done so, to hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and just share with our Blazer Nation why you appreciate and enjoy listening to this podcast. Greatly appreciate the reviews and ratings. They help us with our reach within Apple, which represents 75% of the downloads for this podcast. So in addition to Apple Podcasts, you can also find us on Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify iHeartRadio, and wherever else you might listen to your podcast. So that said, I want to encourage you to share up this content, right? Like tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your family about trailblazers.fm and encourage them to listen to an episode that you think they might find most interesting. That said, let's go ahead and get set to dive into today's episode and receive today's mission fuel from our featured trailblazer, Mr. Scott Dunn. Enjoy. Scott, welcome to the Trailblazers podcast, my brother. Morning, man. It's amazing to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get into some fun times and reflect on the past of it, but love to start every conversation off from a place of gratitude. So wanted to ask, you know, what's an unexpected blessing that you're most grateful for in your life right now? Hate to sound cliche in a sense, but I feel blessed to wake up and I'll tell you why that's particularly important. This week, actually lost a team member. This week, a guy in my office Dude. Uh, died. 
And they found him in his apartment on Tuesday. And I, we have a small team. So it's a team of 10. Wow, Scott. Yeah, we lost a guy this week and just out of nowhere. He was, I had lunch with him on Saturday. He was perfect. <laughs> and he started feeling ill on Saturday evening. And by Tuesday, they found him in his apartment. So, you know, typically I wake up at six in the morning. And when I woke up at six on a Wednesday morning, like normal, I woke up thinking, oh gosh, you know, alarm went off already. Why well, I have to wake up already? And instantly as that thought came out of my head, Process. I, I thought about Francois and I was like, Francois, I didn't wake up this morning. And I mean, it's been, mm. you know, for the first time really in my life, it's like, I'm grateful just opening my eyes in the morning. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm so happy to hear the sound of that alarm mm. in the morning now, you know, so that's my blessing waking up. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we don't process the fact that it's like we give thanks for another day. We don't even realize like, yo, we might not make it through the day. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he, Francois yeah. didn't wake up. Yeah. You know, some of us don't even end the day that we started. Right. And I'm sorry to hear that, man. Mm. This is the first time I'm doing an interview in person in probably like two years. Oh, <laughs> Almost everybody who talked over the phone. Everyone listening, I'm in Jamaica. I attended a wedding a couple of days ago and Scott and I are here. It's hot and sunny. For those of you. Nice and warm. Everybody should be in Jamaica right now. That's right. <laughs> and you were born and you grew up here in Kingston. A old Marion. Hold yeah. that against you. <laughs> Scott and I went to rival schools. Rival high schools. Yeah. But we attended college together at University of South Florida. I think that's where we yeah. had some great times. Go Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> but what comes to mind as you kind of reflect back on your background, what comes to mind when you think about growing up in Kingston in the 80s and 90s? Uh, again, it's funny. So last night I had dinner at my daughter's school. I have two young daughters, six and nine. And I had dinner at their school. And the family that we were paired with, just funny enough, was a guy that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And his two daughters and wife. And he and I were talking about growing up in Kingston again in the 80s. I've known him since about 83, 84. Wow. And the big difference is that we spent so much time outdoors. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, whether yeah. it was playing soccer or, you know, hide and seek or just, you know, we had a pool where we live, swimming in the pool or walking down to, you know, the shopping malls and stuff to get up. You know, and this was like at eight, nine years old, our parents would allow us to, you know, walk the road, miles yeah, away yeah. on the road or ride our bicycles. Like, you know, it was just, you know, although it doesn't seem that long ago, the 80s is just almost like a different time. Like, you know, so much has changed. I mean, the kids get so much homework, first of all. It's like they come home from school and at six and nine, they're spending the whole day, yeah. you know, afternoon doing homework. And they literally, you know, weeks will pass where they spend no time outside. And yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I really wish that they could, you know, live some of that life that we live where it was just literally just running free as kids and yeah. just totally carefree. I feel like kids now almost have so much responsibility and so much on their minds. And even and the freedom, age. I feel yeah. like they also are tied to tech. Yeah. So they're less apt to wanting to be outside. Exactly. You know, you know, they're just locked into the tablets and stuff whenever they do have some free time. Yeah. And, and which is... To me, it's just still crazy. And I'm like, you know, but my daughters, even my nine-year-old still can't ride a bicycle properly. Uh, yeah. I don't think they've ever climbed a tree. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. stuff that was just... Natural to us. Yeah, that was just natural to us growing up, you know. Wow. Probably don't know how to throw a stone. <laughs> 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 Serious talk. 
So, and there are people that listen to the podcast in 110 countries around the world. And a lot of people know you here in Jamaica. And some people might even look at you as an overnight success, mm-hmm. right? Helm of this amazing entertainment company. But I've watched you for 25 plus mm-hmm. years now, right? I know better. I know mm-hmm. that, you know, I've seen you do your hustles in mm-hmm. college from the parties to your loan biz mm-hmm. to even remember. And I'm reflecting on you coming home and doing that franchise biz in Barbican. Yeah. Right? yeah. Chester fried chicken. Chester fried chicken. <laughs> yeah. Take us back to your earlier entrepreneurial experiences yes i mean again and you know me well i'm that kid you know i was that kid in school who always had something to sell or some kind of hustle going on you know i mean everybody knows that kid you know there's somebody at your high school that was like that that was just always bringing stuff to school to sell or you know trying to get people involved in some kind of business or the other so i mean the spirit was there always i mean my parents you know i've had you know, various businesses while I was growing up. So I was in an entrepreneurial home. Mm. I mean, my first real business, though, was I say I had a Chester Fried Chicken franchise in Kingston. And that was, I mean, that was straight out of college. You know, I graduated from USF when I was 21, came back to Jamaica, was looking for a job and just got disheartened with the job hunt. You know, just the offers I was getting was money that I was used to making doing yeah. whatever kind of little hustle I was doing in college. So it was like, I'm not going to go work for that. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, trying to do my own business and did it for like a year and a half, but it was like, you know, I mean, I respect anybody in a restaurant business because it's, it's a nonstop. Yeah. Brand. There's no gratitude there. You know, it's like the restaurant I used to work 10 hours a day, seven days a week, the year and a half I had that business. I didn't take a day off. I said, really? It was kind of holding its own, you know, it was paying the bills, but it wasn't worth the effort, you know, it was yeah. kind of like learning when, you know, is this the best use of my energy, mm. which, you know, a year and a half would have been now 22, 23 years old, you know, is there something I could be doing with my time right. that's going to make more sense for my future, you know? So, you know, I took the decision at that time to pull away and focus and focus on other stuff. And so the pivot, as he said that now, I'm realizing that there was a pivot in the middle, right? So you ended up, I mean, this didn't just go from Chester Fried Chicken to Dream Entertainment. No, man, there's been numerous pivots along the way. You know, there's been, you know, taking two steps backward, you know, to move forward again. And many times along the way, you know, gone and taking jobs that make less money than my previous job because I saw where it could get me, you know, or done businesses that, you know, just was a learning process along the way. So there's been a number of, I said, pivots or pitfalls along the way. Yeah. But, you know, always with a vision that, you know, you knew that there was something greater for me out there and, you know, just remain focused in trying to do something. Yeah. It's awesome, man. So today you're managing director of a company called Dream Entertainment. Right. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Dream. So, I mean, Predominantly what we do is we put on major events, music festivals, carnivals. So we own, I mean, the biggest event in Jamaica, possibly the biggest event in the Caribbean Dream Weekend, which is essentially we do 10 parties over five days. So it's basically two parties a day of a day event and a night event. And the concept is that you basically pay once to go to all 10 events. So you get a season pass to go to all 10 events. Events are predominantly the drinks are included, so you pay once and you drink all week long. And a lot of the events we also have food inclusive. So from a value proposition, it's you know it's an amazing experience. Yeah. 
And it's become a huge tourism event for Jamaica. It's in a small town on the grill. And, you know, more than 50% of the people that we have at this event, which is now talking about maybe 30 to 40,000 people in total attend the event. And more than half of them come from outside of Jamaica. Wow. Predominantly from big Caribbean diaspora markets. So New York, Miami, Toronto, Atlanta, London, England are like wow. huge markets for us. I mean, we bring thousands and thousands of people out of these cities every year. I'm going to come back to that in a mm-hmm. second. I'm curious to know, Mark Temi is thinking, you know, what was the gap that you saw? Because you know, it's, it's successful, right? Right. And I can't say that it was necessarily like we had this big idea or something, you know, it's kind of developed and we've seen the direction it was going in mm-hmm. and basically ran with it in that direction. So when we started off, I mean, there was a previous movement happening happening in the grill, a, a festival as well called ATI, which some of us were involved with before we even started Dream Weekend. So I was involved with ATI for maybe four years before we started Dream Weekend. But what we saw is when we got into Dream Weekend was the demographic was changing on us. So it started off being predominantly college-age kids, almost like a spring break vibe. Mm-hmm. But the hoteliers in the grill kept increasing prices because they were at capacity every year. Prices kept going up and flights were full coming to Jamaica as more foreigners were finding out about the event. And the prices just became practically too high for college-age kids. But those same college-age kids that, you know, were We're coming in the front, they're growing up and still loving the Uh, event. So, you know, fast forward to now, you know, our demographic is predominantly people in their 30s. Mid-age, yeah. Yeah, yeah. professional people but yeah. it's like growing up spring break right so like literally like you know you have doctors and lawyers from new york and washington dc and accountants from toronto wow and they're acting like spring break kids for this week in the grill it's literally like you know they're just totally free and wild and it's like you know that's their vacation for the year they you know people book this a year in advance and right. they're like yo that's what they're doing for their vacation this year. They're coming to Jamaica for Dream Weekend. They're going to have the time of their lives. So for everyone that's not connected to Jamaica, this happens in August every year. Right. So it's usually late July to early August. Most years, it's, it's like the first week of August. For 2019, it will be August 2nd to 6th. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's this amazing event that people come from all around the world. And it's a chance to just, you know, lose your inhibitions and just, I say, act like, you're a teenager, college yeah. student again. Wow. People at work aren't there to see you acting wild. <laughs> Kids aren't there. What happens in the grill? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like that Vegas kind of mentality. So are you guys truly just in the grill? Or do, you, do you have events? Other- no. So, so that's our main event. That's a dream weekend. Then two years ago, in 2017, we launched out with Exodus Carnival. And, and Carnival is like a big soca music movement in the Caribbean. Trinidad and Tobago is who most known for carnival. But right now, Jamaica is by far, you know, the biggest growth market for mm-hmm. carnival. And I mean, carnival in Jamaica has grown from maybe 2,000 people in costume on the road in 2016 to, you know, we probably had 6,000 people on the road this year. And then our band, which is our group within carnival, our group of costume revelers, Exodus, when we launched in 2017, right after that, we were the biggest band because we used or come, you know, yeah, dream, that dream brand was already very strong and we already yeah. had this huge international reach. So although our competitor had been in the market for 20 plus years, like on day one, we were bigger than them. Wow. 
We grew that this year. So we had 1,700 revelers on the road in 2017. We grew that to 3,000 people in costume partying in the middle of Kingston in the street in 2018. And we wow. figure we'll have over 4,000 people in 2019. I mean, right now, our sales have, I think we're five times sales. In our, we just launched a week ago. And our first week sales are 500% what it was last year. So, wow. I mean, I'm being conservative wow. to say that, yeah. that we'll grow 33% yeah. from 3,000 to 4,000. It's, it could be phenomenal. I mean, people are really plugged into Jamaica right now as a destination for entertainment. You know, mm-hmm. Kingston is kind of, people are realizing that Kingston isn't as dangerous as sometimes the media makes it seem. And it's a, you know, I mean, even UNESCO you know, designated Kingston in a city of culture globally. So, you know, I mean, you know, it's a city that Bob Marley, you know, grew up in and create, you know, lots of reggae greats like Jimmy Cliff and Dennis Brown developed their talents here. Sean Paul is from Kingston. And, you know, so it's a city that's known for music and known for entertainment and fun. So speak to that, right? Like with the event as big as it is now, you said 30, 40,000 people in the grill. How are you able to maintain security for an event of that size? Um, it's not always easy, but we take it at a very high level. So our security plan actually comes from, you know, dialogue with the number two person on the police force in Jamaica. Wow. So we meet with an assistant commissioner of police. We meet with all the senior police on the western end of the island. The grill is the far most western point of Jamaica. So all of the senior police in charge of the western side of Jamaica are part of our planning team. We employ, like, I want to say, you know, maybe a hundred police over the course of the week, you know, probably 200 private security. You know, we have an event at a water park. I believe we have like 80 lifeguards working that event. So safety and security is paramount. We haven't had many incidents. Literally, we've had, God forbid, one fatality in 10 years. So for a festival of that size, that's good. You know, it's one too much, but, you know, it's good numbers. We have very few incidents other than, you know, there's a few fights and stuff, which is just kind of natural when you get involved. (laughs) So it's not like a a environment where people are kind of buying individual drinks. You know, you pay once and you basically drink all week. And that's something that's culturally kind of normal in Jamaica. Jamaica. But certainly, you know, for half of our guests who are coming out of, you know, North America or Europe or something, they're not used to that environment. Where literally, I mean, we have an event from 2 p.m. till 9 p.m. And one from 10 p.m. till 4 a.m. So you're going, uh, yeah, 24 hours. And, and that's for five days straight. Right, right. So somebody that's, you know, used to going to a nightclub and, you know, having two, three cocktails who's now drinking from 2 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> till 4 a.m. Wow. And we monitor that. I mean, we have drink monitors. You Plus know, you also have food. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. There's lots yeah. of food. And then we also, you know, we hydrate people because the yeah. is also very hot. So yeah. we have, I mean, we go through hundreds of cases of water you know, for the week, you know, hydrating people, you know, we have, you know, water stations and detox stations, you know, you leave an event, you know, we give you a cup of soup, some water, so you can mm. kind of... Come to. Yeah, come wow. back to my <laughs> So, continue talking about the success of this in a little second, but I'm curious, right, as you reflect on a journey for Dream to this point, what's, I'm sure every week has its own failure or challenge, mm. but... It's been maybe one of the biggest mistakes that you've made that really tested your mettle. I don't know if I would say big mistake. I would say I can give you a big challenge, which is right now. You know, in 10 years of doing business, we've been blessed to say the least. We had, you know, people are amazed every time I say this, but I have 10 partners. It's 11 shareholders in this business. We started this business with no money. We put on a major 
music festival without one dollar of either shareholder capital or loans. What we did is that we were all reputable people in the entertainment business prior to starting Dream. And we just came up with this concept for Dream Weekend and said, hey, let's just start selling tickets. And we started selling tickets. You know, we did like a, I think we did actually did a one day special. You know, we sold a couple hundred tickets. So nothing was in place yet. No. We just, just an idea. Yeah, we just had a concept. We had the dates. Because I said, we had been doing, we had been involved in similar festivals prior to that. ATI and, and some of us in one called RTI. We just said, hey, let's, you know, we're going to take the best of ATI, the best of RTI. That would be a dream for patrons right. to have this weekend that had the best events of the two big competing festivals at the time. And we just started selling it and we took that money and we invested that into the business. And every year we've been able to do that. We, you know, similar with Carnival, we start selling costumes before we really start incurring any expenses. So, you know, we've been able to basically put our, our customers' money into our business. You know, fast forward now to, you know, 2018 and our new babies, and it's a big baby, is we're doing a themed cruise next year, Dream Weekend Cruise, which is a, we're doing a total buyout of a Royal Caribbean ship, 1,600 cabins, a total capacity of 3,900 people. And, you know, I'm sure anybody could imagine to charter a cruise ship of that size for six days and five nights is a lot of money. And we weren't in the position to be able to sell enough cabins, you know, before we needed to start making those cruise ship payments. So our challenge now is being able to manage cash flow, which we've always just been, we've always had excess cash flow. We've always been, hey, we're going to do whatever we want to do, whatever we needed to buy, whatever we needed to rent along the way, whatever talent we needed to deposit on, you know, whatever venues we needed to deposit on, we've always had the money there, you know, our challenges have always been on other stuff. It's been more about coming up with great ideas and executing those ideas to know, to really having, you know, serious kind of financial management and cash flow management now, making payments to Royal Caribbean at a faster rate than the money is coming in and bookings are coming in. That's really taught us a lot. You know, it's been, although we're 10 years in, you know, I feel now like this is like You're year one. This is, this is what, yeah, this yeah. is what, like, you know, for most entrepreneurs and most business owners, this is like what year one is. Yeah. You know, and having been spoiled, you know, along the way and also not having the luxury like most new entrepreneurs where your business can be your 100% focus. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, this business stream of Dream Week and Cruise. We can't afford to be 100 because we still have a huge festival in Dream Weekend, our land-based event. We still have Exodus Carnival. So we launched Exodus Carnival a week ago, but we're also, you know, three months away from Dream Weekend Cruise. And it's just like, you know, now trying to juggle, you know, three major projects. I mean, these are like three events, you know, that even on an international scale are three large events. And with a relatively small team still, I mean, our team is six full-time people, Wow. And four part-time staff. Um, well, you know, God forbid we're now three part-time yeah, staff because yeah. we just lost a team member. But trying to manage, you know, essentially three major international music festivals, you know, for want of a better word, with a team of less than, yeah, yeah. Less than 10 is, is no easy task. But it's a very unique business. You know, it's not everybody transitions well into this business. So it's been hard to find people who, right who, who understand what we yeah. do and get what we do. So we're back, you know, we're blessed and cursed in a sense because six of our team members are owners of the business and they've been 
people who know the entertainment business well, they know the, the music festival business well, but they're also serial entrepreneurs. You know, all my mm-hmm. business partners have multiple businesses. So the focus isn't always there. You know, it's not the same focus as when you hire somebody and this is their nine to five and they know they need to do it. You know, they need to be at work at nine every morning and leave at five every day and do what you tell them to do. You know, as a managing director, I'm managing equal shareholders in the business as myself. You yeah. know, so it's not always easy to get them to do exactly what you want them to do when you want them to do it. And I'm going to pause you right there because I'm like thinking there are partnerships that can't thrive when it's two or three people. Yeah. And you just told me there are 11. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's maybe talk about this a little bit because I wasn't planning to, but this is interesting. Yeah. How did these partnerships develop initially? So it was, again, it was the fact that we were all in this similar space Business, of doing yeah. music festivals. So everybody had were involved in some similar festival or the other. Yeah. And basically what we did is a group of us came together and handpicked the best of the best. We're like, yo, you know, we looked around and okay, yeah. these 11 so you're guys. you at the strengths of each yeah, person. Yeah, we look at 11 guys and these are the best in the business. I, 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 what's different from us, you know, and I don't think that's just an issue in Jamaica. I think globally I've seen that in some of the people that I've encountered in entertainment business, you know, traditionally it's been a lot of not the best talent that you find in entertainment businesses. People who entertainment business has almost been like a cop out for them, you know. Mm. It's like they weren't good at anything else or they didn't have the discipline to do anything else and mm. they saw entertainment as an easy route. So it wasn't always attracting the best talent. I mean, my team, even people that we hire, I mean, or project manager enough has a master's degree in project management and business engineering from like probably the top school in project management in Paris. Yeah. You know, she's fluent in French. And, you know, I have team members who have lectured at universities. So you're bringing and, on a strong team. Yeah, man, or, but, and, and a very diverse teams. <laughs> but even still, so you have all these amazing people, smart, dedicated, really wise at what they're doing. How are you guys able to coexist and thrive? I mean, again, we've been lucky in terms of that. We started off successful. I can't say if we started off you know, and it was rough in the beginning if it would have survived. Yeah. But we were lucky that we know, were successful out of the really blocks. Wrong. Yeah. And it's allowed us to see how good we all can work together. I think at the end of the day, while we don't always get along well, we all have a, a healthy amount of respect for each other and each other's talents. Yeah. And also realize the diversity of our talents in terms of your stuff that I have, I'm very good at. Yeah. You know, I'm very good at, you know, financial management and I'm very good at managing relationships. But even after being in entertainment business and I've been in the business basically since 1994, yeah. 24 yeah. years. Yeah doing events, you know, I'm still not very good at actually, you know, maybe laying out an event and figuring what's the best place to put a stage. And I know nothing about how a good sound system should sound yeah. or how lighting, you know, should be in an event after 24 years. It's not it's your not, strength. Right? It's just yeah. not my yeah. strength. Yeah. But I have team members who, you know, crush it. Yeah, who crush that. But, you know, don't give them a spreadsheet. <laughs> don't tell them to like manage the budget of an event because yeah. they'll, they'll fail miserably. Yeah. Or, you know, they'll or they'll never be able to go and do a presentation to a sponsor because they're just not comfortable, you know, speaking to people like that. They're just, you know, a little more reserved or mm-hmm. introverted. So it's a very, I mean, we have engineers on the team. We have marketers on the team. You know, it's people like me who, you know, my background is predominantly in, in insurance and, yeah. and risk management, you know. So you have people who are like very like, oh, that's never going to happen. Don't worry about it. 
versus me who worked in insurance for 10 years who's seen everything happen and seen claims coming for everything and I'm like no we need to take care of that we need to make sure we have security there or safety yeah. people there or we need to go to insurance policy to cover us against that time you know I have team members that roll in their eyes and oh we're wasting money on this but you know over time I say again we respect each other we, you know respect our strengths yeah. and you know people said we fail people I mean I mean I won't lie it's 11 men it's the 11 men that were all, even when we started, were in their mid-20s. There's 11 grown men mm-hmm. who were all relatively successful prior to coming together. So mm-hmm. that's 11 egos. Yeah. I mean, I'm so not, how, I'm not how, what's, the, what's the challenge in, in managing an organization of that size? Um, it's not big, but it is big. Yeah, I, I said being so flat as well. Because I said, yeah. I mean, there's that's five it. of them yeah. that work yeah. full-time in the yeah. business. There's one that works part-time. And still we have five other shareholders slash directors who are involved. So it's, you know, it's trying to manage all of that. I think it's just about just having really that healthy degree of respect and, you know, at some time just, and it's rare that we ever have to vote on every, on anything. Yeah. Usually somebody can put forward a strong enough argument that will convince the team that, Hey, this is the best path forward. Right. If there's no real. Yeah. I think, I mean, as a manager director, my job is really to kind of keep everything cohesive. I mean, I feel my job is relationship management more than anything. It's both internally yeah, and externally. Both internally and externally. Yeah. Keeping my directors, you know, getting along with each other and, you know, other team members getting along and, and managing relationships, I say, with sponsors and suppliers and with talent, you know, yeah. that we work with throughout the years. And I'd say it's not always easy, but, but we get it done. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm thinking about you almost hitting that reset button with a cruise, and I'm looking at what you did with Dream Weekend, and I'm wondering, you know, what some of the things that you did maybe early on that made Dream Weekend grow from a thousand to ten thousand to now thirty or forty thousand people a year. Yeah. Well, one of the big things we did, and again, for the entertainment business. Even again, globally, you have a lot of people who don't treat it as a business. You know, it's almost kind of like people side hustle or something that people do part time. So most people who do events in Jamaica, for sure, and certainly in the Caribbean. Exciting. Yeah, it's not their job. That's not what they get up. That's not their nine to five. That's not what they get up in the morning and start. Mm. You know, they go and they work at the bank or the insurance company or. So you guys are a white elephant. Six guys doing this full time. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly not six guys who all, you know, have that, degrees right. and have, you know, worked in big professional jobs right. and, you know, commanded big salaries right. in big companies prior to doing this. It's like people that walked away from solid careers, you yeah. know, like, you know, clear trajectories to the top in different industries, you know, bright mm. engineers and bright marketers. And, yeah. you know, so again, I was an insurance professional that worked in London as a Lloyd's broker, yeah. uh, you know, really, you know, looking like you're heading places in different yeah. industries. And at some point, we just came together and was like, you know, I think we can do something special in this industry. Mm-hmm. And if we come together and, you know, sacrifice, I mean, I was, when I left, you know, insurance to go into Dream full-time, I had a wife and a young child. It's not not necessarily an easy conversation yeah. to tell your wife that you're leaving a job at, like, one of the, you know, the biggest companies in the Caribbean. I, I worked at a subsidiary of Grace Kennedy, you know, to go and keep parties for a little bit. You know? <laughs> That's not always an easy conversation, yeah. and, you know, but my wife believed in me and 
I believed in myself and believed in the team. And I said, we've been able with that level of focus, you know, and over time, people respected that because when we started out and we went into Dream full time and people would ask me what I do for a living, I said, oh, you know, I'm a director of Dream Entertainment and, you know, we put on Dream Weekend in the summer. We do other parties and people like, oh, so, you know, what's your job? Like, what do you really do? Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, this is what I do. Like, like this is what I get up in the morning and we have an office and I go to the office and, and I have a computer, like, you know, what you have <laughs> and I work on a computer and I do work and people are like, but you said you keep parties. And I'm like, yeah, but it, there's, there's more to it than it seems. And particularly if you want to do it well. And at, over time, you know, it's been amazing to see the, the level of respectability that we have. So now, you know, members of our team are like, board members for some other, you know, huge government agencies really? that, that deal with entertainment and, wow. and tourism in Jamaica. You're so we're respected. Yeah. So we're like yeah. genuine stakeholders and we're helping to develop policy for wow. the entire entertainment industry and for the tourism industry. That's amazing. And the government has realized that entertainment tourism and event tourism is this real thing. Because we've always said it, you know, we look at cities like Las Vegas and New Orleans and, you know, Miami Beach and mm-hmm. Ibiza in Spain. And we yeah. said, you know, these are cities that, that just thrive on entertainment, entertainment and events, you know. And, but we live here in Jamaica in paradise. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like Jamaica is more beautiful than any of those places I just named. Mm-hmm. And Jamaica is already associated with entertainment, you know, with reggae music and Bob Marley, you know. And so I felt like already we had a head start, you know, we already have this here. And nobody's maximizing and nobody's making Jamaica a destination for events. And that's what we've been able to do. Mm-hmm. And people love it. People come from all around the world and they come. I mean, our repeat business is crazy. I mean, yeah, wow. we have people who have been to Dream Weekend, you know, every year for 10, 10 years. years. Wow. They, they won't miss it for the world. You know, they book their vacation every year for that. I mean, I did a promotion in Atlanta once and there was a Walmart, apparently like a whole bunch of Jamaicans worked at. And they said like, one of the managers there was totally confused one something because everybody check out yeah like, everybody <laughs> had, had applied for vacation for the same week with seemingly like this random week in the yeah, summer it wasn't yeah. like 4th of July weekend right. I mean he was totally confused why was everybody trying to get vacation the same week <laughs> but it's such a strong movement in the diaspora that like Literally everybody wants to come to Jamaica mm-hmm. for the summer of a dream weekend. That's awesome. Uh, empty in the Walmart. <laughs> Walmart was employee less for the one weekend or something. <laughs> That's hilarious. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. I wanted to take a short break right here and ask you if you're getting ready to crush it in 2019. If you're saying, Stephen, I'm ready, but your personal brand isn't, (laughs) I want to introduce you to my personal branding course. It's called Brand You Academy. Now, Brand You Academy is a six-week online training course I've designed for today's busy corporate and sales professionals, as well as entrepreneurs who are looking to build an amazing personal brand and an impressive digital footprint. At the end of the six-week program, you're going to come away crystal clear on your mission, your vision, the product that is you as well as your audience who you're targeting. You're going to have all your brand elements defined, including your personal brand's color palette. We're going to define our font pairing for you, help you to develop your personal logo, as well as your website. You're also going to come away having clarity on how to brand and optimize your social channels and be ready to wow your future customers, your partners, as well as maybe potential employers. So listen up, someone's Googling you. 
right? And it's time that you took control of what they are going to find and be certain that your messaging, your visual appeal, it's going to leave them ready to connect with you, do business with you, or hire you. And so due to the level of personal support that I've been providing inside of this six-week program, I can only bring in a limited number of students for next launch. And so if you're interested in learning more or becoming part of this next class, this next cycle that goes live in January of 2019, I want you to hop on over right now to tbpod.com slash brand you. That's tbpod.com slash brand Y-O-U. I want you to put your name on our waiting list. And the first 50 names on our waiting list are going to receive a $100 discount off the cost of the program for being part of our Blazer Nation, as well as I will have a free gift for my Blazer Nation subscribers. So don't delay. Start 2019 off by getting the help you need to build your amazing personal brand. Sign up today over at tvpod.com slash brand you. So there are people that are listening, right, that probably not in the entertainment business, mm. but want to start their own business, right? What's your advice to someone? Start small and be realistic with the expectations. I've so often I've seen that, you know, like people see the glory, but they don't know the story. So, you know, people come <laughs> to a dream weekend and say 30,000, 40,000 people like, oh, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to keep everything. It doesn't work like this. Yeah. You can't just get it. It's not necessarily about the talent. You know, it's like, you know, people might think, oh, you know, if I book the right talent, you know, I'm going to automatically get the same crowd. Literally, you'll have the same DJs at the event this weekend and next weekend. And one event will have 10,000 people and one will have 50 people. There's a lot more that goes into being, you know, certainly there's credibility. People want to know who's keeping this event. You know, what have they done before? Yeah. You know, so there needs to be a lot of credibility and from the organizational team. You know, you have to understand how to market these events. And I find too often people want to start big. Like most people that are big in, in events started off doing house parties or, you know, BYB parties, you know, mm-hmm. bring your own bottle stuff, little stuff, you know, inexpensive stuff. And be realistic. I said, you know, try to find a way that you know, you can break even on this event or make money on this event without thousands of people. Because right. realistically, there's not yeah. a lot of people who yeah. want to come, you know, out the gate and your first event, you're drawing thousands of people. Try to find a way that you can do an event that with two, 300 people. And again, be realistic again about your network. You know, yeah. if you, you know, you have, you don't have, two, a you have 200, you you have, have, you have 200 yeah. followers yeah. on Instagram, but yeah. you're going to keep a party with 3,000 people. Yeah. Come on. You know, <laughs> you don't even know 3,000 people. Like, yeah. who's going to come to the event? Strangers aren't going to come. Yeah. When you're just starting out in events, the people are going to come. Is your little network? Is your friends and family yeah. who are coming out? Not necessarily that they think that you're going to have the greatest event. They're coming out because they want to support your small business. You know, yeah. like yeah. most small business people, your first customers are going to be your little network of people. Yeah. And so it's no different in events. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to have this event and I'm booking this rapper who's hot now and this DJ that's hot now and everybody's going to come. Nah, nobody's going to come. <laughs> I mean, you can ask a billion people. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. I mean, the business doesn't work. I think that goes beyond the entertainment. <laughs> I mean, in anything, the same lights, I could say the same of a podcast or a course. You do have to start yeah, small. Yeah, sure. You, you've seen people, you know, with millions of listeners. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to start a podcast. Yeah. I'm going to have millions of yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> uh, we know you get there. You know, you're going to get there. But it, yeah, it takes time. A lot of consistency and mm-hmm. a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and mm-hmm. sleepless nights later before you see that. But, yeah. 
That's a good one, Scott. Yeah, I always say just start small, be realistic, budget properly. I mean, you know, so often I see people with budgets that make no sense. I mean, I've had people come to me to partner on events before. And when we do the, the budgets and, and we say, you know, how many people we're we expecting and we, you know, we work out what income is. And I'm like, oh, but this is a sure shot to lose money based on what we just put for what we think is a realistic amount. And then the people still want to go ahead and do the events. I'm like, we've done it. You know, we've done the budget. We've, the expenses are X and the income we're saying projected income is X less 30%. Yeah. But you still want to do this event? Like, yeah. you know, it's a business that we're running here. And, and so make sure yeah, the numbers work. Yeah, the numbers have to work, you know. The numbers have to work. Just like any other business, you have to budget properly and be realistic and then be disciplined with that budget. Because mm-hmm. even more so than other businesses, and I've been in a lot of different businesses, it's easy for a budget to run away in entertainment. It's mm-hmm. easy to, to, you know, overspend on marketing. Your ticket sales aren't going well, so you budgeted. $10,000 for advertising, but, you know, tickets aren't going well. So you're like, oh, no, we need to bump up the ads on Instagram and we need to print more flyers and we need to do more posters and we have to do more radio ads. But you already budgeted, you know, a certain that amount. And you so know that, riding and expenses you, Yeah, and you yeah. don't expect your revenue to pass a certain amount. You just dig in the hole deeper sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you're just throwing, you know, uh, good money at bad, as we say. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do sponsorships help to offset some of that? It does. And I mean, luckily for us, you know, from what I know, sponsorships for events of our scale tend to be even higher in the Caribbean and even in North America, relatively speaking. But it's still a very small part of our budget. And that's something that people don't understand. I think most people look at our events and because there's such a, the sponsors, we give them a lot of visibility. The assumption is that the sponsors are putting a big percentage of the bills. For events, typically, Dream Week and Exodus Carnival sponsorship is a maybe about 10% wow. of our income. So it's relatively small to the point where we've started to sit with sponsors. And, you know, in the early days, it was always like, hey, you know, what? For the sponsors, you know, you need to give us cash. You need to give us product because, you know, that's how you bring in value to us. When we kind of, as I said, done the mass on it and realized, hey, this is only 10%, you know, of income, you know, for this event. Really what we realize is sponsors where they add value is improving the experience of the patrons. Mm. So it's really more experiential now in terms of what sponsors are doing, how they're activating and executing within the event space. It's more important to us than them cutting us a check. Because for me, when my patron now is spending 90% of income is coming from the patrons, 10% is coming from sponsors. I realize it. Rather than trying to increase increase sponsorship, it's better for me to make those sponsors give my patrons more value because right. it's easier to get more money out of my patrons. So I can get more right. wallet share right. from my patrons if the sponsors are giving them a good experience. So sometimes, you know, creating a nice lounge in an event or a nice bar or, you know, giveaways for like a swag bag that we do or something, mm-hmm. that's really the value that a sponsor can give us more so than just, you know, transferring money to my bank account that's really, you know, only going to pay a tiny bill or two anyway. Right. Let me get more money from my patron. Right. That's what I want you to do as a sponsor. I love that. Wisdom right there, dude. That's a word. Mm. Bridgerton, what keeps you motivated to pursue? I hear you talk about the cruise Mm. and I'm wondering, you know, what keeps you motivated to continue to pursue more given the success you've already achieved? Like, Um, why not just sit still and keep doing dream meeting? I guess there's two things, I guess. Personally and professionally. So personally, 
I'm a husband and father too. So I have a responsibility to my family to give them the best life I can. Yeah. Give my kids, you know, a better life than I had, which I, I had a very good life. And yeah. my, my parents gave me a, a good life. But I think a lot of parents feel the same way. Like, you know, if you can just do a little better for your kids than your parents did for you. Absolutely. Is, you know, you've won, you know, as a parent right there. So personally, you know, I'm always striving to do more and to earn more to, you know, one, be a good example for my kids and yeah. two, to, you know, be able to afford them the things that I want, you know, because yeah, as we, a good education isn't cheap. And, you know, I traveled a lot as a kid. I've actually, I want to say. You studied abroad. Yeah, you lived in Venezuela? I lived in Venezuela. I lived yeah. in St. Martin. I lived yeah. in England. I went yeah. to school in Florida. So I've lived in five different countries. I'd love for my kids to be able to travel. And and I think that's the best education there is. Yeah. So that motivates me. And then professionally, you know, and it's, it's, it's rough when you're kind of in, in a basically a project kind of based business. Cause essentially that's what it is. You know, our festivals are like big projects that we run once okay. a year. You basically grinding all year for one little win at mm-hmm. the end. One, it's one high. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, literally no, it's like, Oh, you're just working, working, and you're not feeling any successes necessarily. The success is really at the end of the event. Mm-hmm. But that high that you get of pulling off an amazing event, pulling off an amazing project in any type of business mm-hmm. is kind of, is what keeps me going. You know, it's like, Hey, just the fact that I know that we can do so much more, you know, you know, that we again, that even just from a nationalistic perspective that you know, we live on this beautiful island on Jamaica and, you know, our country has so much to offer to the world and to be the ones at the forefront of this event tourism and entertainment tourism movement in Jamaica. It's a tremendous responsibility because mm-hmm. people really are looking at us as the ones that, are, you know, can shape this entire industry. Mm-hmm. And we're very proud of what we've done. You know, a lot of people are looking up to us to be able to do more for this industry, do more for this country. And we take that very seriously. We really want to do amazing things. I mean, next year will be three major festivals, but we see that we think we can do 12, you know, yeah. do one every month in Jamaica. We yeah. think, and then we can actually oh. export that, export. And that's what's amazing about yeah. Jamaica into, like into other markets. Yeah. You know? There's no reason we can't do a Dream Weekend Bahamas or right. Dream Weekend Atlanta, right. you know, or do Exodus Carnival Trinidad yeah. or Exodus Carnival. Ibiza, like yeah. we can do this anywhere in the world. Our focus right now is on our own country, you know, building up more and more sustainable festivals, sustainable major events in Jamaica. And then ultimately, we do export our events in, in smaller ways right now. So we do smaller events in a lot of places. I mean, Igloo, which is one of the events out of the Dream Entertainment family, my partner, Ron Burke, runs that. That's Igloo is now one of the biggest events for Caribbean people and for the ethnic community for you know black people in South Florida and Atlanta right now. Wow. Yeah, we do other events in Miami, New York, Toronto. I mean we've been approached to do carnival in all kind of places. I mean I even know that there was a carnival in Tennessee till recently. What? And people are approaching us about doing, you know, some Exodus Carnival activities in Nashville. Wow. So, you know it's uh I never knew that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I was like carnival. Nashville, <laughs> country music in Nashville. Yeah. But, uh, That's yeah. so good. As you talk about family life, 
your husband, father to two, as you've mentioned, how do you manage work being so busy and family life? Yeah, it's not easy, but it's fulfilling, you know? Yeah. And I'm a very active father. I'm not like, I'm not just coming home from work and patting my girls on the head and going to bed. I mean, I, I drop my girls to school every morning mm-hmm. of life. Typically, I pick them up from school at least one or two days per week. I carry them to ballet. Sometimes I pick them up from ballet. Wow. I come home, I do homework. I help study with them. So I'm very involved in their lives on a day-to-day basis. You know, I feed them in the morning. You know, my wife gets them dressed and combs the hair. So, I mean, it's like a partnership. Thankfully, we have a wider village, you know. Uh, my mom helps out a lot. You know, when her parents are in Jamaica, they help a lot. But it's a difficult balance, man. It's hard sometimes to, you know, leave work at one thirty to go pick up kids at school. Sometimes you're in the middle of something at work, but yeah. they need to be picked up at two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've already decided today, you know, my wife has a meeting. She works as well. Ain't no school buses in Jamaica. No, I mean, thankfully, I mean, we actually, we have a driver that picks them up some days from school. But again, we choose not to have them picked up every day because we want to know what's happening at school. You know, I need to show up at school at least once a week, you know, just to be able to talk to the teacher Mm. and just see what's happening at school. You you don't want to be too distant from that process. You don't want that something could be happening at school and you're not even aware of it. So, you know, make that effort to go to school and make that effort to be involved in their extracurricular stuff. But it's a challenge, man. It's it's tiring at times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to juggle so many things. You know, I mean, I said for me right now, it's three major projects in Dream Entertainment. I also own a loans business, like a payday loans type business. So I have responsibilities with that business as well. You know, I have to find time to be a husband, find time to be a father. I'm involved. Charities. I'm on the board of governors of United Way of Jamaica. Wow, I didn't know that. Involved, I've been involved in a number of stuff, you know, with my high school throughout the years. So it's just a lot of stuff that you know juggling. But it's just there's nothing that I'm doing now that I don't feel like I need to be doing. Like I have, I feel like I need to be doing all of these things. So I just kind of have to find a way, you know. Yeah. And there's days where it's just like it's too much. I I mean, honestly, I have days where I'm just like, okay, I just gotta go home, and I'm at the office and just. My brain is just dead and yeah. I just need to check out early yeah. and go home and turn off my phone for a few hours yeah. just to spend some time with the girls. Yeah. Or sometimes just to even for by myself. Just yeah. Margins. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just even get a nap, you know, yeah. like, so, yeah. cause it's just, but I think you need to, all of us know what our limitations are. I mean, some of us can work much longer hours than me. Funny enough, even though I'm in the entertainment business, I do events. I'm not really a night person. So I've had an event every Friday night for eight years. We do a club event as well. And so I haven't slept on a Friday night for basically eight years. But the rest of the week, I generally, I'm asleep by 8.30 most What? I'm like, yeah. Really? I'm like a kid. Like, <laughs> um, I get to bed with the girls. Yeah. Sometimes, well, sometimes I'm asleep before them. Yeah? Yeah. Wow. Sometimes I'm asleep before them. I mean, both my wife and I sometimes fall asleep before six-year-old <laughs> and nine-year-olds because we're both like it's exhausted. Not, yeah. So, you know, people find that funny all the time. Like, oh, like, you know, people think I'm lying. Like, oh, they tried calling me at nine o'clock last night. They couldn't get me. I was like, I was asleep. Like, you know, they roll their eyes. and like, yeah, sure. I was like, no, I swear I go to bed. Sometimes I'm old, 7.30, 7, <laughs> knocked out. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize you're early to go down. Yeah, man. Friday nights, that's my night. Friday, I'm out till morning. I, I get in when wow. the girls are waking up. Yeah. But 
Rest of the week. week. Catch up. Yeah, whenever I have to go out, like earlier this week, I went out. I want to think Wednesday, I, I went out one night this week and I'm still suffering. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're not getting any younger. No, far from it. <laughs> Scotty, I enjoyed this conversation, man. We're getting set to wrap up here, but Blazer Nation loves to hear about your resources. One in what books you've read that you think. Four hour work week. Four hour work week. Tim, Tim Ferris. <laughs> Tim Ferris. Book changed my life. I think I was away. I might have been just a weekend trip. I was working full time in insurance still and doing the loans business and entertainment business on the side. Read that book, came back and resigned from my insurance job. It was like, uh, that book, yeah, it teaches you a lot about. One of the, I mean, there's so many different lessons in mindset. There. I mean, yeah. yeah, you know, following your dreams, but also just being able the whole eighty twenty rule, mean, twenty yeah. rule of how you focus your energy. And I realized at that time I was putting eighty percent of my energy into something that I was receiving twenty percent of yeah, of the term, value yeah, in, in yeah. terms of my life. So that book kind of made, and it's a book which you know I learned it all, and people never uh, returned. I bought that book like five times, I think, and I need to buy it again because I have to read that book. I feel like at least twice a year yeah. to keep me because I, you know, I get back into the same traps over and over. I'm naturally that person who wants to try and do everything myself. And, you know, that book teaches you a lot about yeah, delegating sure. and yeah. about yeah. automating certain things. And, you know, every time I read it, I get good again at least stuff for like a, a two, three month period and I fall back into the same trap. So, so book, I recommend that read it. And if it, it connects with you, Read it over and over and over there again. Two other books along that line yeah. that you should definitely get. The One Thing, Gary Keller. Have you read that book no. yet? Great book. Kind of speaks the to the 8 to 20, yeah. but then like really getting clear on that 20, right? And going down to you get to that one core thing yeah. that is driving, you know, the majority of the yeah. success and essentialism too along that line kind yeah. of removes the trivial, all the noise, yeah. right? To get focused in on what really, really, really matters. Yeah, right? so that's um, something I need to do. Yeah. Because I, I say, I, while deep down I know, and I, I'm good at giving people advice about stuff like that, but I fall in the traps yeah. so easily. I'm like... Yeah, I mean, it happens to all of us. Yeah. Well, one, I say I'm very much into, like, I don't trust people easily with yeah. work and I like work done in a certain way. So it's... Hard to delegate. Hard to delegate. I'm... I think as a manager, I'm a very good leader, yeah. but I'm a horrible manager in terms of delegating stuff. I'm yeah. good at leading from the front. I'm the one that's, you know, I'm going to take you guys into battle and I'm going to show <laughs> you that, you know, I'm going to do the work, you know, so, yeah. you know, people, I lead by example well, but in terms of being, a, and as a, my business grows, you know, I need to become less of that leader from the front and more of that delegator. And so, yeah. you know, any kind of resources that, will leave me that way so blazer nation <laughs> send your recommendations to me. <laughs> last, <me> out here. <laughs> last question for you what's one action that our community or blazer nation should take this week that's going to help them to blaze their trail i said one action you know i hate um i guess steal from nike but i guess i would say just do it yeah. you know so often i think all of us deep down i think most people know what they want to do deep down. Uh-huh. Uh, but you just, you know, for different... Make the excuses. Yeah. You make the excuses. You're afraid to do it. You know, I think I heard, I think it was Whoopi Goldberg once said, like, you can't have a backup plan in a sense. You know, like, if you're really passionate about something. I think that was Will Smith. 
Oh, Will Smith said. I feel like Will Smith was like, yo, I'm not in the worry about plan B. It's like yeah, plan A. Plan A. You have to, if it's something you're truly passionate about, something you really want, you just have to go yeah. and do it. And that doesn't mean to be reckless. Yeah. You know, irresponsible. Because we all have responsibilities. We all have family. I'm not telling you to just, you know, take your life savings or your kids' college fund and put into a business. You still have to be calculating. But if you have a dream, or you have a passion, you know, find a way to at least get started on it, you know? I literally, the episode before this one mm. is a solo episode I did. Mm. And I spoke to that. Mm. I spoke to the, the importance of just making the decision, yeah. right? To take action. Because sometimes you're on the fence yeah. of indecision for so long. You have the talent. For years. You, you know exactly <laughs> what to do. And you tell everybody you're going to do it. And it never gets yeah, done. Uh, I'm literally right now, I'm picturing a friend who's always telling me that, yo. They're going to. Uh, most of the times I've heard, like, a, even a date, like, oh, next year, April, I'm going to start it. And I'm like, pretty sure about for the last 10 years, you've been telling me. It's going yeah, to start. Yeah, this week or next month or March or September or something that is when you're going to start. And the thing is, you just, you just, just have, have to start. To, you just have to start. And it doesn't have to be the perfect scenario. Like starting a business doesn't mean that you necessarily have to leave what you're doing and start on this massive scale. Sometimes you can just start small, you know, and build stuff up and not necessarily give up what you're doing to get a, your feet wet in something, you know? Yeah. You can get a, a business start, get some revenue coming in before you're giving up everything else, you know? Yeah, yeah. But you just have to do it. You just have to just get up and say, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm starting now. Well, you heard it here first. Blazer <laughs> <laughs> Nation, join me in saying thank you very much, Scott, for finally making this interview <laughs> it happen. absolute pleasure. It was, <laughs> it was fun. Oh, Steph. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tdpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers. Cheers.